The following message is brought to you by the CD ministry of Rancho Baptist Church. This message by Pastor Matt Shea was recorded during our regular morning worship service. Pastor Matt is the senior pastor here at Rancho Baptist Church in Temecula, California. And while Pastor Matt is taking a break, our discipleship pastor, Lou Dawson, will be filling in this morning. So let's join Pastor Lou as he talks to us about being content with what we have. And now, here's Pastor Lou. Well, it's always fun to get up here and and bring the word to you. You know, let's face it, uh, we live... Uh, we live in a discontented age, and that's probably not news to any of you guys. Uh, and part of this discontentment is really inherent in our own nature. As a matter of fact, a Solomon acknowledged that when he commented, he said that the eyes of men are never satisfied. You know, and if that were not bad enough, we have a torrent of advertising that brazenly encourages dissatisfaction through all this media that we have advertising everything under the world. You know, you must have that new car because it will make you happy. And you know that house that you have? It's way too small and you really have to get a bigger one. (laughs) Yeah, I'd love to have one like that, right? (laughs) Then you have to clean it, right? You know that, that small little TV? That is pathetic. You've got to get a big screen TV. And you can't possibly live this year without that around the world cruise, can you? Etc., etc., etc. You know, and wouldn't it be wonderful if we as Christians were immune to this onslaught? But I don't know about you, but alas, we really aren't. And it's especially easy for Christians here in America to get sucked into the world's materialistic mindset, and really none of us are completely immune, no matter how hard we try and resist it. And this is the reason why church leadership here at RBC has asked us to pray in 2008. And I want to look at our fourth strategic prayer request, and that is pray for God to provide for our finances and to teach us contentment. The church back in the Apostle Paul's day had similar issues with contentment, and that's why Paul brings up the subject of contentment in Philippians uh, chapter 4, verses 10 through 19. And we're going to look at that passage today with the goal in mind of us learning how to be more content. And the title of this morning's sermon is The Secret of Contentment. But before we dive into the passage, it's important that we understand the Apostle Paul's situation as he wrote this letter to the Philippians. You see, the Apostle Paul, when he wrote this, was imprisoned in Rome when he wrote it. But the prison that he was in is not prison in the sense that we think of it. He was essentially under house arrest. But even the house arrest that he was under really wasn't quite the same. First of all, he had a Roman guard chained to him 24 hours a day. Now, doesn't that sound like a lot of fun? And secondly, he had to pay for his own place to stay, as well as all of his own food, all of his own clothing, all his own necessities he had to pay for. Not only that, he had to arrange for people to bring them to him. Now, under these uh, circumstances, Paul simply, he just could not work. That just didn't happen. And he was entirely dependent on other people for all of his needs. 
And in the letter that Paul wrote to the Philippians, he had just finished his closing exhortations to them in Philippians chapter 4, verses 1 through 9. And in verses 10 through 19, Paul switches out of teaching gear and thanks them for a generous gift that they had sent to him during his imprisonment. And beneath the surface of this this thank you that he's writing to them, a picture emerges of a Paul that is utterly content in spite of difficult circumstances that he was experiencing. And as we have a closer look, we uncover five factors that led to Paul's contentment and in turn can help us to live contented lives ourselves. Turn with me to Philippians chapter 4, and let's begin reading at verse 10. Paul says, But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. Now let's stop right there. In this verse, we see the first factor that contributed to Paul's contentment, mainly that Paul was confident in the Lord's provision. You see, Paul rejoiced greatly in the Lord, and essentially he was being obedient to the very command that he had just given twice to the Philippian church. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 1, he had told them, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. And in Philippians chapter 4, verse 4, he had said, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Now notice back in our text in verse 10 that Paul didn't say he rejoiced greatly. He said he rejoiced in the Lord greatly. And though Paul was very grateful for the gift that the Philippians had sent them, ultimately he knew that the Lord was the source of the supply of that gift and that the Philippians were just the channel through which that was sent to him. And the reason why Paul was content was because he was utterly confident that the Lord would supply his needs. He wasn't worried about the fact that such a supply was completely out of his control. And notice that Paul says he rejoiced in the Lord greatly. You see, he was filled with joy and with gratitude to the Lord, and the praise was overflowing from his lips to God for this gift. And this is so key to be content. You see, if we're not confident that the Lord will provide for us, we are susceptible to all manner of worry and fretting. You know, so much of our anxious concern is rooted in doubting that the Lord truly loves us and will provide for us. And praising the Lord for who He is and rejoicing in His past deliverances, it short-circuits that worry and that fretting. And when we concentrate on the bigness of our God, what happens to those little other concerns? They shrink to their proper, and may I say, small size that they truly are. And Paul goes on to this in this verse to more fully explain his rejoicing. The Philippians' gift was a concrete evidence to Paul that the Philippians still cared for him. You see, the, they had sent a gift before to Paul. Look back in our text at verses 15 and 16 of the same chapter. The Philippians had evidently sent at least two gifts to him while he was in Thessalonica, which was about 10 years earlier. And now, like a tree, 
that was again blossoming after having been dormant for a long time, the Philippians' love and concern was again being manifested by this new gift. Notice also back in verse 10 that Paul comments that he knew the Philippians were still concerned for him, but they lacked opportunity. You see, in Paul's day, they couldn't just take up a collection in the Philippian church and hand it to their accountant and say, oh, let's write a check for this, drop it in the old FedEx envelope and send it out. Well, it just didn't work that way. First of all, the Philippians themselves were struggling financially. In 1 Corinthians 2, or 2 Corinthians 2, 8, 1 and 2, Paul makes this comment. He says, Now, brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God which has been given in the churches of Macedonia. That's the Philippian church. That in a great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. But even when the Philippians did finally pull together some funds... They had to get someone to volunteer to deliver them. I mean, Philippi to Rome, even as the crow flies, you're looking at about 600 miles. Well, now you have to get on a boat to deliver it. You're looking at a thousand mile trip. So guess what? Three months there, some time in Rome, three months back. So it's a long, 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 long trip. Well, Epaphroditus eventually did make the trip. And we all find out in Philippians 2, verses 25 through 27, that the trip nearly cost him his life going to deliver those funds. And these two factors combined are why the Philippians lacked opportunity to tangibly express their concern to Paul. Now let's move on and look at the second factor that contributed to Paul's contentment, mainly that Paul was satisfied with little In verse 11 of our text, Paul comments, Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. In this verse, we see that Paul didn't want the Philippians to misunderstand and assume that his rejoicing sprang from having his needs met. The first phrase in verse 11 is really pretty amazing. Look at it. Not that I speak from want. As we talked about earlier, Paul had no means for providing for himself. And after many years as a missionary, you can probably guess what his bank account looked like. Zippo. And he spent probably a significant number of days chained to that old Roman guard while watching that guard eating a nice meal. And guess what he was doing? He was eating nothing. It was a tough time. And yet, Paul was content. Now that word content that Paul uses here occurs only here in the New Testament. And behind it is the idea of being independent of circumstances. One translation seeking to capture the full implications of verse 11 is a little wordy, but it's good. It translates it like this. It says, It's not that I speak as regards a need, for so far as I am concerned, I have come to learn in the circumstances which I am placed to be independent of these and self-sufficient. And notice that Paul said he learned it. This is not something that came natural to him, and guess what? It doesn't come naturally to us either. He had learned to be content with little. Having little just didn't bother him anymore. And one commentator expressed it this way. He said, though Paul's situation was extremely difficult, 
Paul was not discontent. It did not matter that he was a prisoner living in a small apartment, chained to a Roman soldier, subsisting on a sparse diet. None of that affected his contentment because he was satisfied with what little he had. His contentment was not affected by physical deprivations. And the question that naturally arises is, how did Paul learn to be content with little? And I'd like to ask you that very question. How do you think that Paul learned to be content with very little? I'm throwing that question to you. What do you guys think? How did he learn that? Practice, practice, practice. He had a lot of practice doing it. So that's what we should all do, right, Steve? Yeah, that's right. We'll all become poor and we'll practice. Okay. Any other thoughts? That's good. But you're right. He was well practiced in that. How did he learn this? He did. He, two things that you mentioned. He was obeying the Holy Spirit and he, was, he, he had a source of strength that was coming to him from the Holy Spirit. Yes. And feeding on the Word of God. Any other thoughts? His, his relationship with the Lord captivated his mind. Good. Good stuff. Any other thoughts? He, he had a, a developed a good attitude. Indeed, he did. He did that. He did that. And you know, our text doesn't come right out and say exactly how it happened. But I believe that Paul gives us a clue... 12 verses earlier in the, in the book of Philippians. Look at Philippians 3, 20 through 21, where he comments this. He says, For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we eagerly await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory by the exertion of the power that he has even to subject all things to himself. Wow, you see, Paul didn't consider this world his true home. You see, heaven was his true home. And as a consequence, he had his eyes fixed not on the things of this world, but on the glory that was to be revealed to him when Jesus Christ came back. He was eagerly awaiting his new transformed body and the joy of being in Jesus' presence. And I think that this, at least in part, is what enabled Paul to be satisfied with little here on this earth. Well, we've seen that Paul was confident in the Lord's provision and that he was satisfied with little. Now let's move on and look at the third factor that contributed to Paul's contentment, mainly that Paul lived independent of circumstances. Look with me at verse 12 where Paul comments, I know how to get along with humble means. I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and of going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. Paul had already commented in verse 11 that he had learned to be content or self-sufficient. Now in verse 12, he expands on this, helping the Philippians to understand what this contentment really looked like. You see, Paul had lived with humble means, and he had suffered immensely. He talks about this in 2 Corinthians 11, verses 24 through 27, commenting, Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. 
Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have spent in the deep. I have been on frequent journeys and dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, and dangers among false brethren. I have been in labor and in hardship through many sleepless nights, in hunger and in thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. Now on the other extreme from his suffering, Paul also had lived with abundance. And the only time that we really know for sure that he lived with abundance was in this very letter. Because in verse 18 of our text, he comments that he had much more than what he actually needed at this present moment. But looking back in verse 12, Paul is very emphatic and he says that in any and every circumstance, he is content. He could have lots of money or he could have little money. He could have lots of food, or he could have little food. just didn't matter. Circumstances just didn't affect his contentment. Also, Paul tells us that living independent of circumstances is a learned secret. Indeed, in our day, very few Christians ever really learn the secret of that contentment. Now, moving on to verse 13 we learn this secret that he just talked about in the fourth factor that contributed to Paul's contentment, mainly that Paul was strengthened by Christ's power. Look with me at verse 13, where Paul comments, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Now, one important thing that we need to establish from the onset is what Paul means when he says, I can do all things. An extremely important rule of biblical interpretation is that the context of a word or phrase is what determines what the author meant by it. And the context of this statement is being content with circumstances, both good and bad. And therefore, all the things in this statement refer specifically to being content with physical circumstances. And some folks have mistakenly applied this to a number of spiritual matters and come up with all sorts of crazy practices based on this. And this strength to be content in all circumstances comes through Christ. Paul doesn't specifically say how the strengthening comes, except that it is through Christ. And I know this is a tough question, but I want to ask all of you again, how do you think that Christ actually strengthens us to be content. How do you think that that actually works? What do you think? He, <laughs> practice makes perfect, right? <laughs> we do, sometimes wish it wasn't that way, but that is how he does it sometimes. Trials and tribulations. Any other things? Yeah. Yep, he does that. He strengthens us as we see him deliver us. Any other thoughts? The Holy Spirit, again, the Holy Spirit. As Charlotte said earlier, the Holy Spirit in, in strengthens us. Yes. Isn't that neat how the body of Christ works like that? Paul says that we can, we can comfort one another with the comfort that we have received from him. And that's one neat thing. Yes. Yes, 
And that, that is so helpful when we're going through a tough time to remember his, the promise of that he will cause all things to work together for good for those who love him and those who are called according to his purpose. And the only clue that we have in the text, like we talked about, is that that strengthening comes through Christ. And intimate communion with him is certainly a prerequisite for being strengthened with Christ's power. You know, earlier in the letter, Paul had made the connection between communion with Christ and experiencing Christ's power. In Philippians chapter 3, verses 8 through 10, he says, More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish, so that I may gain Christ and may be found him that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. And Jesus himself had told his disciples that apart from abiding in him, in communion with him, they could do nothing. One Bible commentary kind of echoing all these thoughts and putting them all together made this comment. He says, it's only in Christ in spiritual union with him, that the Christian is content, self-sufficient. His presence gives strength to do and suffer all things. Well, thus far, we've seen four factors that contributed to Paul's contentment. First, that Paul was confident in the Lord's provision, that he was satisfied with little, that he lived independent of circumstances and was strengthened with Christ's power. Now let's look at the fifth and final factor, mainly that Paul was focused on blessing others. Read with me starting back in Philippians chapter 4, verse 14. Paul says, Nevertheless, you have done well to share with me in my affliction. Let's stop right there. Now notice that Paul starts out with the word nevertheless. And he's making a transition here, realizing that he needed to make sure that the Philippians understood that he was grateful for the generous gift that he had given them. You see, if the letter had ended after verse 13, then the Philippians would probably have concluded, hey, Paul doesn't need our gift, and he's not even grateful for it. And to head off such a conclusion, Paul sought to bless the Philippians by helping them realize five different ways that their gift had been a blessing to him. First, in the verse we just read, Paul seeks to bless the Philippians by praising them for sharing financially in the midst of his difficult circumstances. He wanted them to know that they had done good in giving him that gift and that he really appreciated it. Now, second, look with me at verses 15 and 16, where Paul seeks to bless the Philippians by praising them for the ongoing nature of their generosity. You yourselves know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel after I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, but you alone. For even in Thessalonica, you sent a gift more than once for my needs. And as we talked about earlier, the Philippians had supported Paul financially at least two times. And they were the only church that had really ever done that. And their gifts, along with Paul's hard work, had enabled him to minister without cost to both the Thessalonians and the Corinthians. Now third, look with me at verse 17, where Paul sought to bless the Philippians by reminding them of the reward that they would receive for their generosity. He says, not that I seek the gift itself, 
but I seek for the profit which increases to your account. As we discussed earlier, Paul was content with his current circumstances, as difficult as they were. And thus his greatest joy in receiving the Philippians' gift was the reward that would be showered on the Philippians for their generosity. And the scripture is very clear that the Lord will bless those who give to others generously. Paul makes this comment in 2 Corinthians 9, 6. He says, Now this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will reap bountifully. Jesus himself said, Give, and it will be given to you. They will pour into your lap a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. For by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you in return. Now, fourth, Paul sought to bless the Philippians by reminding them that their gift was a pleasing act of worship to the Lord. Look with me at verse 18. But I have received everything in full and have an abundance. I am amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to the Lord. And in the language that Paul uses here is from the Old Testament, describing Jewish sacrifices which were actually acts of worship to the Lord. And he's comparing the Philippians' gift to such an act of worship, adding that it brought great pleasure to the Lord. Now, fifth, Paul sought to bless the Philippians by reminding them that in light of their generosity, the Lord would certainly provide for their physical needs here on this earth. Look with me at verse 19. And my God will supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And indeed, the Lord will provide for our needs, but not necessarily our wants when we are faithful to him and are generous with other people. Now, having a look at Paul's contentment as revealed in his thank you to the Philippians, let's talk about how we can apply this to our own lives. And I'd like to frame these applications in the form of four questions that we would do well to ask ourselves. First, where is your confidence? Is it truly in the Lord and in his loving provision for you? Or is your confidence in your bank account? Is it in your job? Or even in your own ability to provide for yourself? Is there something that causes you to worry? You know, and if there is such a thing, that's an indicator that your confidence is not in the Lord in that particular area. And are you proactively rejoicing in the Lord and reminding yourself of His goodness, His love, and in His past deliverances for you? Or do you frequently find yourself kind of resorting to fretting about circumstances and mentally trying to work everything out to get it to pull together. And if you find yourself trusting in other things and worrying and fretting, repent of that, repent of it, and make a commitment to daily rejoice in the goodness and in the love and in the deliverances of the Lord that he has done in the past. Second, are you satisfied with little? And this is truly a tough question for us in the U.S. as Christians. 
And I, in particular, hate this question because guess what? The finger comes right back and points right at me. Think about the last six months and the things which you purchased, which you absolutely had to have. Does this list include a real significant number of completely non-essential things? Now, I'm stressing a significant number. What does yours and my lifestyle reveal about where our true citizenship lies? We need to ask ourselves that question. And the reality is, is that being satisfied with little is a key component of contentment in this life. Third, how's your communion with Christ? Do you make time to enjoy fellowship with Jesus and to allow him to communicate to you through his word? Are you seeking to obey him out of love for him? You know, such communion with Christ is the source of the strength that enables us to be content. And it both causes us to be content in our life now, and it causes us to look forward to the future glory of our life with him. Fourth, are you seeking to bless others? You know, diverting focus off of ourselves and onto others is so essential to being content. And it's so ironic, but selfishly seeking after our own desires, it's a sure ticket to discontentment. You know, each day, ask the Lord to use you to bless at least one other person. And then be alert as the Lord brings that person across your path. Because he surely desires to use you and me to bless other people. And as we consider this topic and as we close, may the Lord indeed answer our prayer. And as a congregation, make us people who are content. Let's pray. Lord, we... We look at the contentment evidenced in the Apostle Paul's life, and, and we are deeply challenged. Lord, our hearts long to live in this world in such a way that it just has little grip on us. We ache, Lord, to be supremely confident in your provision and utterly content with whatever you lovingly provide. And we long that our communion with you would be so real that we could just hardly wait to see you face to face someday. Lord, only you can bring about such contentment in us. And we do ask, Lord, that you would bring this about for your glory. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. If you would like more information about this message, Rancho Baptist Church, or simply about knowing God in a deeper way, you can contact us on our website at www.ranchobaptistchurch.org or you can simply call us at area code 951-676-2911. May the Lord richly bless you in your walk with Him.